0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's wonderful to meet you, hopefully, get to know your name, and and I'm excited for this year. I trust God is going to do amazing things. Um, Normally, the first Sunday after a holiday, I come back and I tell wild stories about my savages jumping off little cliffs like that. Movie, actually, they could have been my kids. My wife hates it, but we went when we go camping, my kids do that like all day. People gasp, they think you're terrible parents, um, but uh, we love it. And um, like I said, it was a like Wayne said, it was a different holiday for us. Um, and I'll share a little bit about that. But we did get away in between it all for a few days camping, which involves fires and dirt lots of dirt, um, lots of dirt, actually, which is amazing. My boys love it. Literally, my kid's hair is only now come back to its normal color. It took about 10 days of washing it. Um, He went a tinge of Gabriel, if you know what that is. It's like a slight bit of red in his hair, which we just couldn't get out, especially the little blonde one, which is amazing. We hiked, we cycled. But there was a moment that changed it all. We had um, a couple, about six days camping, and on day four, there was a moment that changed it all. Some of you relate, but as I tell you the story, maybe you can sympathize and empathize a little bit. I, it was a moment, kind of like a beautiful day like this, and the, the, we'd bride together, we'd had time together, and then someone said, let's go out onto the field and play touch rugby, which is a great idea when you're 20 and don't need an hour and a half to stretch. And we played the first off, and I kind of thought, what I'm going to do, I'm not ready for this battle, so what i mean, I'm just going to hang around and Passed to the boys you know 11 year old muscles and 13 year old muscles and and maybe we have a photo I've got a photo of a whole bunch of boys I was away with them three families 10 boys the three on the end of mine the rest with the muscles aren't but um and and uh and they said, let's play touch uncle mark you used to play rugby uh yeah okay okay so the first half I just I didn't run at all like, I'm so disappointed. Then we jump in the river. It's cold. All your muscles go whoop. And then in the second half, one of these little guys who started a run, I thought I need to catch him. Just got to catch him. You wouldn't believe it. There was a sniper in the mountains. There was a sniper. And he shot me in the back of my leg. Right about here. I don't know where he came from. I thought we were camping, not in a wall. And, uh, And in an instant, it all changed, and I spent the two next days in a camping chair being served, which was amazing, actually. It worked out pretty well in the end, icing my leg, and after pulling my hamstring. But there is a moral to the story that I wasn't prepared for that battle on a touch rugby field. 20 years ago, I was more prepared. 20 years ago, we would spend months training. We would spend months eating silly things like creatine and putting on muscles, we shouldn't have had. And all those things. I, I, I was a rugby plus spent time playing rugby. I was ready for the battle. And I realized quickly as my hamstring decided to do a silly thing. Um, it's not really its fault. It's more my fault. That I wasn't ready for this battle. And then I've been watching as, a, as I was recovering from my hamstring and not being able to run. I've been watching a series based in the 1800s, 1900s, dark ages around t- King Alfred time called The Last Kingdom. I'm not a big promoter of TV. There's some violence. If you can't handle axes and swords being wielded, don't watch it. But it's about these kings and kingdoms. It's about advancing for your king. It's about taking ground. It's about loyalties. And it's about faith and a belief. And it's about the gospel behind the scenes and all of the stuff. And it's amazing. It's about these warriors who go out and they are uh, prepare themselves for battle. They, they train for years and years. But then battle comes and they pull farmers in. And they fool everyone in to go and fight, but you can see the farmers quickly. They've got long sticks with three hooks on the end, and they don't know what they're doing. They're like cannon fodder for the warriors. They, they don't know what they're doing. They're just the numbers. And then the other guys who are ready for battle, they know their positions. they are trained, they're ready. When they wield their swords, something happens. And, and, and the effect takes place. And I've been caught up in this conversation on kings and kingdoms. And he's got this warrior named Uhtred who is this fighter. And somehow everywhere he goes, there's victories. Anyway, that's my holiday, sharing with it. As I was on airplanes about four times up to Durban, I watched series. Is that okay? Confession. I know you think I read the Bible 16 hours a day. And how could he watch TV? It's, uh, it's shattering, I know. But the Bible speaks about it this time because he says in this life, there's going to be battles. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some things you're going to face. John 16, Jesus puts you this way. He says, I've told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. He puts it like this in another version. For in the unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I've conquered the world. Also, it says, you therefore must endure hardship. This is from Timothy. It's the apostle writing. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, not one engaged in welfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. God is this advancing king. And the gospel breaks into our lives and pulls us into his story, an advancing kingdom story. There are battles to be fought and there are battles to be won. And I'm reminded by running onto a touch rugby field unprepared for that battle, as a now 40-year-old male quickly reminded in my very first touch game that I'm now 40. I mean, how boring is that, another 40-year-old pulling a hamstring? I was so frustrated with myself. Let me just confess. But I'm reminded that, God, we're in a battle. I'm reminded we're in a battle because things change quickly and there's different types of battles we'll face. There are pressure times, there are big years, there are neighboring countries that are under pressure, there are economics under pressure, there are deadlines under pressure, there are health realities that are under pressure. There are all these kinds of battles and I would like to speak this morning about this is how we fight our battles. This is how I fight my battles. And yes, it is largely to do with what we've experienced in the last three, four weeks um, that I'll tell you a little bit more about. But it's also about watching the church, be it on presence on social media, be it on engagements to challenges. And I'm concerned that like myself on a touch rugby field or like farmers on a battlefield, there might not be the battle readiness that the church requires for the battles that he's calling us to fight. And God's calling us as these concerns to raise up an army who have strategies for battle, who are prepared for battle all the time, who are ready to face challenges. That if something should happen, as I've told people and people have heard, the the thousands, Jackie McGavin's blog has gone from 40 or 50 people reading it to about like 100,000 people. Because people are fascinated, especially parents, because every time I speak to a parent, when they hear about a 12-year-old child who the parents can do nothing for because her body was beaten, her, her head was beaten by the side of a motorbike, it's the greatest fear. And all of a sudden, when our greatest fear approaches, we realize whether we do or don't have battle strategies. And today I like to challenge and ask and, and ask these things, because as battles have fall, uh, come, we often default to a whole bunch of things. We make quick plans. We, we short-term plans that don't really hold. We, we run to voices we wouldn't normally run to, and... In times of peace, we wouldn't run to those voices. All of a sudden, I find people running to those voices. We, we navigate things by sticking heads in the sand rather than facing up to the challenge and the fear that is affronting us at that time. And none of these strategies actually lead to life. And we quickly understand, as, as, as the disciples did in a little boat that was rocking because there were winds and waves, and they were crying out for, Jesus, come and steer the ship. And he says, you're asking me to steer the ship, but I'm the commander of the winds and the waves. And I can speak two words, be still to the winds and the waves, but you're just asking me to look after a little ship. You're asking too little because you're overwhelmed by the storm that's approaching. And so I want to speak about that this morning because one of the challenges, as Hebrews says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Richard and Jackie and Gavin are friends of mine, and they are leaders of an incredible church. And they are leaders who have influenced this church, had the privilege of teaching here, and we will be here later this year, as was planned, and a whole bunch of things. But they're leaders in God's kingdom. And the Bible says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want to boast about my friends this morning a little bit. Is that okay? And, and I want to use that story. And I want to look at Jesus as in the greatest battle I think he faced, which I don't think was Calvary. I think it was Gethsemane. Because here's the thing. The Bible says you're going to face battles. You're going to face battles. And how you face those battles. And who you run to. And and the the strategies that you have to face those battles is important. And there's these critical moments in battles that change games. There was a couple of battles. The the war for American independence. and, and, And Washington was trapped by a British commander. And it changed the whole war. And then we see that the Battle of Waterloo at Lord Wellington defeats little um, Napoleon. What's his name? Little Napoleon. And it all changes. And then what about D-Day? And it all changes. And battles seem to hinge on these moments of defiance, these moments of standing, these moments of we will go no further. We'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them. there are these moments in history when we look back and there are moments in God's men and women's lives where battles turned on an instant. And Jesus had a moment in Gethsemane. Gethsemane was where he went to pray. He had just done a couple of things. He had just, the plots against him had been made. Uh, Jesus was anointed at Bethany. Then Judas agrees to betray him. Jesus has the Last Supper. And then we get into this section of Scripture. So the game plan of Calvary is on track. The disciples don't know what's going on. They don't understand it. But Jesus internally understands every detail. He knows the emotional, physical, and spiritual pain that is coming upon him. And he takes his team to Gethsemane, which we'll explain a little bit more, to pray. And I want to read that scripture this morning to you. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And I look at this scripture, and, and Gethsemane is not just a moment in time, not just another hurdle to Calvary. I don't believe there would have been a Calvary if Jesus hadn't have overcome the battle of Gethsemane. I believe the battle was won at Gethsemane. As Jesus prayed and anguished and faced up, as our God... The Son of Man comes, who is 100% God. He's also 100% man at that time. is facing up to the realities of the battle that is facing him. So just to give some context, why the scripture and why I look at the battles on Christmas Eve, I got a call from, actually while we were in the Christmas Eve service, from my friend Richard Mungavin saying his wife and Carol had been in an accident. And their whole side of her head was depressed in, but they operated through the night and it was looking good. And then while we were in, while I was preaching in the 8.30 and at 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock Christmas services, I got a voice note from Richard saying that her brain was swelling and they had to remove half her skill cap, which is the most dramatic operation you can have in neurosurgery. And it's a last ditch attempt to save a life. They didn't know where the swelling was come from. And fortunately, in the morning of that, I'd made a decision with Kansas. There was one ticket on mango, so I booked it and I was flying to Durban. And straight after the lunch, I flew to Durban to be with my friends but at the time, she was stable. At the time, she was okay. And as as I was landing, and this is what you shouldn't do, you shouldn't have your phone on while they're landing a plane. You're not allowed to, unless you're a pastor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but I just happened to have my phone on. And there was a message that rocked my world. And we're coming into land, and... and uh, I had my phone on, there's a message that came through from one of my best friends of thirty-four years. We're in class, class one together. We've played sport together for most of our lives. He leads a church that I love and have ministered into. I love his family. He has seven kids. I know all of them by name, which most of his friends can't say. And um, but I love this family. I stay in Durban, we do the doozy together, we've done sport together. I love this family. They deep inside my heart. And I got a message and it just read this. It said, We're losing her. The doctor's making a last effort to save her life. And I'm on a plane that's descending into Durban, and it's Christmas Day, and I've just preached a couple of times, and I'm a little bit tired. And I start to just weep, (laughs) like weep. And I've got my glasses on, but no one is unaware that I'm weeping like a baby, and they don't know what's wrong. They think I've got fear of flying or something. It wasn't that. But I'm just weeping because my friend is hurting, and his family's hurting, and it's a big situation. But it's time to choose your battle strategy. It's time to pick your battle strategy. And when I look at Jesus in Gethsemane, he's experiencing pain to the point that Dr. Luke in the book of Luke tells us he was sweating blood, which is a medical reality under severe stress. The human body can do that. He is literally sweating blood. He is under stress and he is under strain. He has a battle coming and he's making decisions. And he seems to show us in Gethsemane a couple of strategies. And when I look at those strategies, I can... I'm fortunate to say I can look at my friends and I see some similar strategies. I want to bring that to us today because I want to give you strategies for battle that look different to strategies of the world because it is different. And the first one is a statement we make all the time. The first point when I look at Jesus is simply this doing life together. Point number one, how do you fight your battles? Well, you do life together. What do I mean? Well, when I've looked at that scripture, and we've said it over and over in this church, but Romans 12 puts it this way. Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I I think that's called doing life together. I think that's Christian community. I see Jesus. He's in this moment of challenge, and he decides to take his disciples with him. Did he need them? Could they do anything? Did they have courage? No, because when he went to the cross, they ran away. So they weren't exactly these men of courage that were going to stand against everything coming at Jesus. But he still had walked with them. He spent three years walking with them. He spent three years loving them. He spent three years investing in them. He spent three years rejoicing with them at the miracles, and he spent three years weeping with them when there had been challenges and trials. He had done life with them and he faces up to a battle that they cannot influence, but he chooses to take them with him. So there's a challenge when we look at that because we've got to ask our question because we all want people to weep with us and we all want people to rejoice with us, but there's got to be a challenge. Who are you weeping with and who are you rejoicing with right now? Because those will be the people you will reap and rejoice with into the future. And that's why God calls us to do life together and to share our lives and to share our weeping and to share our rejoicing. And I walked into that hospital and he walked across a room to me and it looked like my friend was dying, not his daughter, him. As his one eye was down and as every emotion inside of him was spent crying out for his daughter. And you don't know what to do, but you know you need those people there. And Rory Dyer was an hour and 50 minutes away, also in desperate need of a holiday. And he phoned me, should I come? He said, I can't tell you, but I think you should come. And he got in his car and he drove on Christmas Day. And Craig Clark in Joburg, should I come? Yes, come. And others, should I come? Why? Because actually you need those people. It doesn't matter whether they can change the situation or not. You need people that you rejoiced with and you need people that you've run with. And you need people that you've invested your life into. And you need people around you. Jesus models for us something in the greatest battle he fights. Take your friends with you. And not just friends, but people who know the Father. People who understand. And and there's community, and then there's a community of Christ. They are different. And it don't mean don't have friends. No, have friends. But I'm telling you, when your daughter's on deathbed and she's dying, you want people who have faith and know the living God who raises the dead and has hope where there is no hope. You need people like that standing with you. And I'm just looking at Jesus. And, and I want to tell you, part of, I think, the challenge with this concept of weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice is we're really good at rejoicing, but actually we're not very good at weeping with each other. I heard a terrible statistic about the church in America. The most unreached people group in the United States. The most unreached people group for the gospel. Paraplegic people. People in wheelchairs. The most unreached people group in America. Why? I don't think it's because the American buildings don't suit them. They have far higher health and safety realities than us. Makes I think because we actually don't know how to weep with people who sometimes weep for a long time. Sometimes we don't know how to weep with people who weep are deep and challenging and costly to us to weep with them. Sometimes... You don't have answers. Sometimes you don't have declarations. Sometimes you don't even have words for prayer. Sometimes you just hold your friend and you weep before the living God who sees every detail. And you weep and you weep. And God is in the story. And Jesus models to us. First of all, he takes his team, he takes all the disciples. And it says, Then Jesus went with them because they'd been together at the upper room to get them. And he said, to them, Sit here. I'll I go over there and pray a bit. He takes his team that he's invested in. But then he does something different. He, he says to them, and, and part of that was, was the team. As we got to the hospital, they must have been, it was amazing to see the church rise up. Not just one church. Churches from all over. Churches from poor areas. Churches from richer areas. Churches as Rich and Jacks have built these relations. People just started coming to the hospital. To such a point, the hospital had to ask us. They gave us the whole day ward. Fifteen beds. They gave them for 11 days. They were filled every night. Every bed was full as people were spending the night at the hospital praying. I don't know what church looks like to you, but it looks like that to me. Part of it, and two of the families that were in the mix, are two families who are not at Richard and Jackie's church, but they're friends of mine. The Naaman family and the Olafear family. You don't know these people, but that's okay. They have lots of kids. And uh, I've known these kids their whole life. And I watch 14-year-old girls pray through the night. For 10 days, they didn't leave the hospital from Christmas Day. They prayed every night, making sure that at least two of them were awake through the night to pray. 14-year-old girls, I I don't know what you want when your battle comes, but I want 14-year-old girls who've been in the presence of God and who know what it is to pursue God in spiritual battles to fight for their friend. And the amazing thing, sorry, some of you are looking like, is she alive? She's alive and she's well, and she doesn't have her skull cap in her head yet. That operation is still coming. It is currently sitting in her abdomen um, to keep the bone healthy and all that. But she's alive and she's well, and I saw her yesterday in Durban, and and she's well. So the end of the story is amazing. God's still doing amazing things. But I want to tell you some of the journey because these are the battles you fight. And Jesus then carries on. He says, then he took and taking with him Peter Peter. And the two sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I, I think it's amazing Jesus' model. He has a he has a team, a big team, twelve dudes, and then he has three. You know, those are the same three he took into Jairus's home when Jairus's daughter had died, says, Talita Kum, and she comes alive. Those are the same three who lacked faith for that story. Those are the same three he took up the Mount of Transfiguration. And here's the thing: the Bible doesn't tell us why those three. We see the eventual realities of their life and the influence they have. So maybe Jesus knew something we didn't, but he chooses three, and he has them close. And he chooses John to look after his mother. And in that moment, he says, I'm going to take them to Gethsemane. I'm going to take you close, and I need you to fight with me. Do you have three? Do you have two? Do you have one? Who knows God, who Will stand with you in the battles, come who will remind you who the King of Kings is, who will give you courage when you don't have courage, who will stand with you in the most difficult situations. See, there were all these people praying at the hospital, about a hundred people. And then there was a moment where the doctors came and, and there was a big decision to be made around Kiara's health and future. And I'm not going to give you the details. And, and and in that moment there was a whole room of people. And the doctor is having a big conversation with Richard. And Richard just asked, Mark and Rory, will you come? And there was a big decision to be made. A life-changing, altering decision to be made. And uh, I don't have the wisdom for those moments. I've stood next to the bed of some people here, family members, when machines had to be turned off. When uh, life-changing decisions had made, I've stood next to those beds. And I don't think I've got the wisdom for that. But I know... God says, you, no one's going to do this alone. And I will always be with you. And I felt so privileged in those moments to stand in those moments. But Jesus, in Gethsemane models, he says, in anguish and pain. And, and he says he falls down under the pressure and he expresses to these three. See, he has three he can be vulnerable with. Three that he can say, I, the king of kings, am sorrowful. I am in pain. And all I'm asking, today, all I'm asking you today Is are you prepared for battle? Do you have 12 and do you have three? It's not about the numbers, but do you have them? And there was a day my wife was struggling recently with her back. And I phoned her friend and I said, please, can you go see my wife? Because she could do with a coffee with you. Why? Because we all need that. And Jesus shows us that. I'm just trying to give you strategies for battle. Look at these kings of King of... They always had these advisors. I want to ask, who have you invested in that when the battle comes, they would leave everything to be at your side? It's a big question because in a narcissistic world where everyone lives for themselves and and it's, I'm going to move cities because I can get an extra few grand. I'm going to... Now, I'm asking you a question about when the battles come because maybe there will only be three, maybe there will be four in your life, but when the battles come, who will leave family, town... Christmas celebrations to come to your side? And would you do the same? It's the challenge of the gospel. It's the challenge of Jesus. Battle strategy number one, I would suggest from Jesus and looking at Jesus, invest in relationships who will stand with you when the battles come. And then lastly, it says this. He says, then he said to them, Jesus says to the three, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And I think it's a battle strategy of you've got to fight in the midst of the battle. You've got to somehow find the way and the ability to communicate what's going on. Otherwise, you will crumble under the pressure. And every day we'd leave the hospital at about 11 at night because Kiara was in a coma and there was nothing we could do. And I would t- go home with Richard and Jackie and I slept in the bunk bed of their boys. And I'd sit with Richard. I'd say, how are you? I don't know, but I know God is good, and I know he's in control, but I don't know how I am, and that's okay, and I'm telling you this stuff because I realize people don't have abilities to navigate these times well, and I've looked at my friends, and I have the ability to boast and say they handled a big moment well. And Jesus takes this moment, and he expresses to people who can do nothing about, it. he is the carer of their souls, and yet he tells them, I am sorrowful. Are you honest enough? With certain people that they can speak into your soul. Because it's a battle strategy, it's not an nice to have. It's not something that will just be there and pop up. Number two, I, I would say, and, and it's it's not complicated. Point number two is go through the processes and, and what do I mean by that? Well, navigating this, they Jesus is and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It's okay to go through those emotions. I've realized Christians, because we're a belief system and we're faith, there's almost this guilt factor of I'm struggling right now to express that sometimes. And I want to give you license to question. Joseph, here, Joseph, your wife's gonna be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It says Joseph considered this. He considered divorcing her, he considered everything, but he still chose to obey God. It's okay to consider. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to go. If only that car hadn't have been there in that moment. It's okay to do those things. But what you do with those things is really important. And where you go to with those things. See, Jesus knew in this battle of Gethsemane, as he stands in the middle of this place, he was a physical battle coming. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be bruised. He was going to be put on a cross. Then there was an emotional battle. People are going to shout at him. The people he'd created had bruised and been. His, his disciples would leave him. Not just Judas, but all of them. That's pretty rough. And lastly, there's a spiritual battle as the sins of the world would be placed upon the only one who was perfectly sinless. The sins of the world placed upon him. There's a battle coming. And then I want to take us quickly to point number three. Take up. The spiritual battle. Because there are many ways you can fight. You can fight physically. I mean, you're going to push the doctors and push. We're going to put all, or you're going you're to fight practically. You're going to get in the details. Or you're going to take up the understanding that I'm a son of God, and this is a spiritual battle. And the only thing that can fix, you see, sometimes medicine just tells you we can do no more. And then we default to that. But sometimes God's saying, I want you to pick up the spiritual battle, even if medicine's not telling you that. It's always a spiritual battle. We are spiritual beings. We like to think we're not. We like to make ourselves pragmatic and clever somehow. But God says, you are spiritual beings. I want you to fight in spiritual ways. I want you to take up the spiritual battle and fight. And Jesus does that. He says, says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. This is Jesus, the creator of heavens and earth. He was there at the beginning. He will be there at the end. And he chooses in the face of a battle to pray. What do you choose? Because when I look at Jesus, he gives me a battle strategy. He says, get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray. And we walked into the hospital. There's two ladies I know well. Tanya Olafier and Monique Naaman. And I walk into a hospital room and everyone's walking around and people are trying to care. And in the corner, there are two ladies on their knees before God, weeping and crying out to God for this little life. And I think some people, even in the room, would have struggled with that. They would have gone, hmm, pull yourself together. You're being a bit emotional. Let's be honest. But I tell you what, if I was that girl's father and I was that girl's father's friend, I'm going, thank you, God, for those ladies I've known for 20 years who've done that for 20 years. And they know what it is to contend in prayer for battles and victories. I want them in this room, and I want them praying in this situation. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a battle strategy. You want to fight some battles, or stop putting up your fists and start praying. And then he shows us what to pray. He says, Now he starts out. He says, My Father. It's an amazing thing. Jesus tells us how to pray. How does he tell us to pray? He says, Our Father. But there are moments where you've got to cry out to your Father. There are moments you've got to know who your Father is and you've got to call out to my Father. And if that's fighting for your kids, if it's fighting for your future, if it's whatever battle you're fighting for, there are moments God's going to call you to fight to your father. And He's going to call out. See, because our God is Jehovah Rapha. He is a healer. He is mighty and He is glorious. And He wants to hear our voices in the midst of the battle. See, in a battle while the enemy is attacking and the situation is getting big, God's calling out, saying, What do you want? What do you want? My father! And all Kiara's young friends, they got given this day ward, which is spectacular, in a private hospital. The, the hotel hospital manager came. Well, you know what's amazing about this? People are starting to see healings. Nurses are laying hands. Two lumps have disappeared in bodies in Shlange Hospital since then, as nurses laid on hands. God's going to do that. There's a bigger story here. Don't get me wrong. Don't get down. God's on the move. But in the midst of this... They put up, maybe can pop up those pictures. These are declarations that were put up on the walls of the day hospital for everyone to see. And there were prayers that every day and every hour they would pray. And maybe that sounds, Mark, that's very religious. And that's, is that my style? I don't care about your style. If this was my child... I would want people praying. And, and they ticked off things like, We declare zero infection in Kiara's body. We declare rapid cellular generation. We declare all these things. And each time, you'll, you can't see it there. They're little ticks with a lighter pen. As each time, God restores. And one of them was the brain pressure, which was there's a machine in the ICU, as there are lots of machines, but one of them read the brain pressure that needed to come down. It was sitting at 30, it had to be below 15. And they just started praying at that one thing, because that was the thing that was killing her. As her brain hadn't had oxygen for about 48 hours. And they were praying. and Boxing Day, we're praying. And then that number starts to come down. 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, 25, 24, 22. And faith begins to rise. And Jesus starts doing a miracle as he starts with her brain. And I'm not a doctor. And I'm not a neurosurgeon. But when a neurosurgeon says, this is amazing, basically what he's saying is, this is a miracle. Because on Boxing Day, I had to go fetch my kids' friend, my friend's children, to come and say goodbye to their sister. And they walked one by one and to go say goodbye to her. But by the twenty-seventh, God started to move. And numbers started to change and declarations started to come true, and faith starts to rise, and God starts to show himself, like he did on Calvary. But Jesus stands. And he starts to pray, and he says, my Father, my Father. See, you can't avoid the pain. I'm going to tell you in this life, maybe you've heard a gospel that says, come to Jesus, it'll all be dandy, and there will be no pain. It's a lie. It's a lie. Sorry. And um, Jesus cries out, and he uses the phrase, if I have to drink this cup. See, that so one of the disciples that just asked him, if I could drink that cup for you. He says, you don't know what you're asking. You're asking you to drink a cup that is full of all the sin, of all eternity, and I'm going to have to drink that cup. I'm going to have to drink the cup of pain and drink the cup. We can't drink the cup He drank, but he, there are cups we're going to have to drink. We're going to have to trust Him. My Father! And then He shows us again. He, he prays this amazing prayer. He says, If it is possible, let this cup pass me. So we don't like to think about this, but Jesus is 100% God. He's also man. And And the man, part of him, is crying, said, if this can pass me, if this cup can just go past me somehow. Why not Judas? He's the betrayer. Any of us like to fight like that? If this cup can just pass, he says, but he stops. And why am I saying that? Well, I think you've got to ask something. He says, can this cup pass? Maybe God knows the options, maybe all the details, but I think he's a father. And when I cry to my father, he says, I want to hear your cries. What are you praying for? And to be honest, most of the time, most of my prayers were too small. I was just praying, God, let Kiara survive. And yesterday I go into her room and she stands out of her bed. And I'm God, my prayers were too small, but because you are way bigger. You are mighty. You are glorious. He says, nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. That's the moment the battle was won. See, up to here, Jesus was just playing out his battle strategies. Up to here, all these things, he puts his, his plans up. He says, God, I, could you just let this cup pass before me, Father? But then he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. The same prayer he prayed on the cross. The same thing that led him to that place is the Son who knows his father, is a son who knows a father who sees everything. And then the midst all of this I needed to get away from a hospital bed and a friend of mine told me, Meet me at the beach, and we went for a paddle, six Ks out to sea on a surf ski. And as we turned around, a shipping boy, we came back, and I just said, Can we just stop? And six Ks out to sea, the hospital on is only this big, and the stadium in Durban's only this big, and the city's only this big, and you realise God's in control of everything. And at the end of the day, we have one thing. Do we trust him? I keep saying it, but I want to ask you Christianity is not a knowing about God. Christianity is do you trust him? Do you trust him? Is God a healer? I prayed that completely that God would heal it. But at the end of the day, Jesus shows us and model us in a battle is why he says, God, you're in control of every detail. And whether Kiara lived or whether Kiara died, God will get all the glory. And whether God lived, Or whether she died, God was always in control. And whether she lived or he, or she died, God said, I was always with you. And she was always steadfast in my hand. And God calls us and Jesus model us. And I don't know, this is not about a theology of healing. Is God a healer hundred percent as He called us to contend? Hundred percent on this side of eternity, He's asking us to push in, and we are going to keep praying for the sick. And there's a mandate and a responsibility on those who've received grace to pray for more, to say, God, do it again. Do it again. And the, the mandate on Anthem Church is not now to put a plaque up in a picture of Kiara, 13 years old, and say, God saved her. Look what he did in 2019. No, it's to lay hands on the sick again, to take a hold of God again, but to also pray, God, you're in control of every detail. You are the king. Two more things about Jesus' strategy. One, he doesn't play the blame game. Sometimes we, do, we see what he does do. We don't see what we would do. And I think too often we would want to play the blame game. Oh, Judas. It's an amazing thing. I phoned Richard. uh, When I got to the hospital, I said, Richard, how's the motorbike guy? Because the car was hit by a motorbike. He said, no, he's fine. I phoned the hospital. He's fine. He's got a fractured hand. We'll see him tomorrow. There's no anger. There's no... The reality is the motorbike was going too fast. That's just the reality. But the motorbike wasn't in control. The motorbike driver wasn't holding Kiara's fate in her hand. No. The Bible says in Psalm sixteen, He makes my lot secure. God is always in control of every detail. And the final thing in the victory of Jesus' battle is He says, And he accepts the Father's will and he walks. He says, My betrayer is coming. The enemy's coming. I'm gonna face up to a battle now. But I found in this moment of prayer in this moment of standing with those who are closest to me, and in this moment of trust before my Father, my Father. See, there's got to be a time where we go from our Father to my Father. There's got to be a moment where, God, the Father is real and alive in your life and bringing life and freedom and joy. And I'm telling you, church, we need battles, strategies. Because otherwise we're going to run into battle and think we can still run like we used to and we realize our hamstrings all snap. Because we haven't prepared ourselves for that battle. And that's such a stupid example. But the battle in this life, we are in a battle. There is an enemy. There is a world that is broken and full of brokenness. And God says, I'm going to send you out. And there are going to be some battles. And I want to show you how to fight those battles. Do you have people around you? Do you have those you can confide in and be close to? Will you fight spiritual battles in prayer? And will you trust me? And on the end of that journey... Will you hold your hand open and say, our Father art in heaven, you're in control of every detail. I trust you. God's calling us to these things. And it's a radical example when a young girl in the world stops for a young girl. I don't know how God did that. I don't know why. I've had messages from all over the world of this beautiful young girl. Uh, I don't know why God stopped everything for Kiara because I've stood next to many beds where they didn't get out of that bed and then I've done their funeral and some of you wouldn't know this but at my 40th birthday party Richard stood up and made the weirdest statement to me and I laughed he said this he said Jackson I spoke the other day and we decided and we said that if if we were to pass away there's only one person we wanted to do our funeral and it's you and I thought that's the weirdest statement in the world. But I'm flying to Durban. I'm going, God, I don't want to do my friend's daughter's funeral. I've buried too many of my friend's daughters and children, actually. I don't want to do this one. And there is a father who hears your prayers. But he's raising up an army. And he's calling you and I to have strategies for life, for victory. He's calling you and I to have strategies where we will see the king of kings move his hand. And eternity will shake And the angels will rejoice because God is getting all the glory. And faith has got to rise. Faith has got to rise now. You've heard the story. The story that God took a young girl who should be dead. And if not dead, then in a comatose state at least. And he raised her to health. He wants to do it again. Will you pray for the sick? Will you lay hands on them? Will you cry out for the broken? Will you keep doing that? And will you persevere? And will you do it in spiritual battles like prayer? Where you pray simple prayers like my Father who art in heaven? Move your hand today. I, I, I really, today was, it's hard for me not to tell this story because this has been my last four weeks. And, uh, and I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm trying to tell you that God is glorious and I want to tell you he can prepare you for battle. And I think we need to prepare ourselves well. Can I pray for us this morning? Jesus, you are glorious. You are magnificent. Father, you are incredible in every way. You continue to amaze us. Holy Spirit, you're astounding. We honor you in this place. I pray even for the shaken hearts this morning. Those who maybe realize things like there isn't a team or there aren't people close or they don't know the weapons of war that you call us to fight with. I pray, God. Let us not be shaken because you are on your throne. But let us respond to your word and to your model in that amazing Gethsemane. Just as ours are closed, Gethsemane means oil press. It's the place where oil was pressed out of the olives. It's the place where they would place the olives in this big cement or concrete or brick area, and they would crush the olives under pressure and big heavy stones. And out of those olives would come oil, and then they would take the pulp, and they would place them in big hessian bags, and they would put logs on those bags and allow the extra virgin oil to come out under even greater pressure. And God is saying he wants to bring the oil. Anointing is amazing, but anointing is As the Bible description of oil, he wants the oil that will, the anointing oil, the oil that will change the world to come out of his people. And sometimes it's going to come under pressure. God says, I want a people who can stand under pressure. And when the pressure comes on, my anointing will come out. I want a people who, when under pressure, my ways will come out. I want a people who are under pressure. The knowledge of me and a people who have sought to be like me would come out. Teach us, God, I pray. Teach us, King. Teach us. Uh, Our response to this situation is not to fear. Oh, now I must, my kids must wear helmets in the car. And I've heard it all in the last four weeks. And I'm telling you, those are not the scenarios. My job is to pray. My job is to seek my Father. My job is to keep trusting Him for miracles. My job is to keep being in His Word and allowing Him to reveal Himself. Will you do the same? Will you join me in being a people who are prepared for battle? And when the battles come, we will stand together and we will weep and we will rejoice and we will weep and we will rejoice and we will weep and we will rejoice because at the center of it all is Jesus. And we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus, this morning. I want to pray this morning. If, if you have not made a decision to make Jesus your king, you need to do that. Because these weapons only matter if He is King and Lord of your life. And if you haven't made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. And I need your grace and your glory in my life. This is not an auction. This is an opportunity to receive the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. And to become part of His army. And to rise up in strength in everything He has for you. If that's you this morning, will you just show me your hand? I'd love to pray with you as these heads are bowed this morning. Thank you anyone else this morning amazing thank you surrender to jesus jesus i thank you bless you you are more than enough god and i pray today wash each of these lives anew and afresh in your grace and your goodness never to be the same again we are not of those who fear because we have been touched by the blood of jesus that never fails And I pray your grace and your goodness and your blood that never fails. Wash over each of these lives today. Never be the same again. And add them to your army ready for battle. We worship you, God. Can we give Jesus praise? And can we thank him for his goodness?